1: What is up, everybody? Welcome into it. The Rocky Top Rewind here on this Sunday evening. I'm Eric Kane. That is Brent Hubbs. And we welcome you to the Rocky Top Rewind here on the VolQuest YouTube channel and at VolQuest.com. Please like and subscribe to this channel. Like this video. The goal is always to get 500 likes so we can get it in front of more Tennessee fans. And you can always do us a, a big favor by subscribing to uh this channel as well. Brad, we got a big show coming up, man. Here in a matter of moments, we're gonna speak with VFL Ron Slay. Man, that guy, he's he's everywhere right now. He's 1045 the zone. He's SEC network. He's calling games for ESPN, but you know who will have a whole lot to say about that Tennessee victory uh over Duke to get on to the Sweet 16.
0: Yeah, I mean he's, I mean he's everywhere, but he's happy everywhere right now because uh, his team and and if you know Ron and spending time with Ron, he is truly evolved for life. He loves his his Tennessee balls. He loves his uh, basketball and uh, obviously very proud of this team and um, as are all Tennessee fans as Tennessee advances to the Sweet Sixteen, heading to one of Rick Barnes' most favorite places to play a basketball game at Madison Square Garden in New York, uh, where they will await the winner of tonight's. Uh, Fairly Dick, uh, Florida Atlantic, and who?
1: It's either Fairly or Farley. I'm not sure yet. Okay. If Florida Atlantic wins or not, we won't have to worry about it. I'm going with
0: FDU versus Florida Atlantic. How's, how's that? <laughs> In a bracket that has opened up really well, um, obviously for for not just Tennessee, but we just saw Michigan State um, knock off to the two seed Marquette. Michigan State will take on Kansas State, who, who knocks off Kentucky, and then Tennessee will be on the other side of that bracket um, in, in, the, um, in, in Madison Square Garden. So it uh, should be a, a ton of fun next weekend, obviously, for Tennessee, a great opportunity. And we'll see how this team bounces back from that. So we're talking a lot of basketball. Uh, we'll have Grant Ramey at the bottom of the hour to talk some basketball. We are going to talk some baseball, disappointing weekend for Tennessee. We'll dive deeper into that coming up in our second segment. Austin Price will join us in the last segment to talk about the start of spring practice that gets underway on uh, tomorrow morning, bright and early. A little mm-hmm. quick, kind of a quick walkthrough refresher. Get yourself going uh, day one for Tennessee, and then they'll jump into it hot and heavy on, on Tuesday and go out uh, Thursday and Saturday as well as Tennessee goes for 15 practices before the Orange and White game on April the 15th. So it's here. Lots of stuff going on. And um, should be a ton of fun, and, and it starts with this basketball team who's got everybody um excited. Um, they're still a hard team to figure out, Eric. The better the competition, seemingly the better they play. And mm-hmm. um, uh, Olivier cumwall was just unbelievable um, yesterday. I mean, what a performance by him! You look at uh, what he did against Texas was a career high, but to do it in that setting um against that team to, to dominate them the way they they have is pretty uh pretty significant performance one that will go down in the history books at, Ten- at tennessee for a long long time
1: yeah no doubt and it's a beautiful thing about tournament basketball right you got olivia comwell who's a good player and he's frustrating because he's got so much talent and a lot of times there's just not consistency there but when he's on and he has one of those breakout games it's like on the biggest stage. Remember Tennessee, Texas, late January. He had 27 points and eight rebounds or whatever, and that was phenomenal. And then here in the round of 32 against a a powerful team like Duke, and sure, this might be, might not be the the Duke of old or you know the the flashy three point shooting offensive uh, you know swag type team with Coach K, but still a solid team that was playing really really well, had won 10 straight going into the matchup, and you just have Olivier Cumwall come out and score 23 points in the second half just phenomenal right and I thought he was kind of the ying to the yang of uh you know Santiago Vescovi, who was playing so hard hustling grinding scoring 14 points in the game but really some big time shots in the first half for Tennessee to kind of keep them afloat and keep them where they need to be so I thought it was a phenomenal effort and that's the beautiful thing about tournament basketball right this team is frustrating uh this team can beat anybody you can also lose to anybody it feels like however Tournament basketball is about individual matchups. And the more I thought about it, the more I read Rob and Grant's articles going into the game, I thought Tennessee matched up really well with Duke. Wasn't calling for a win, but I thought they matched up well with Duke. And I thought we saw that on Saturday.
0: Well, and again, what you wondered about that Duke team, and and there's nothing, you don't take anything away from what Tennessee accomplished. I mean, Duke had won 10 straight. Everybody felt like Duke had, had sort of found themselves and had found their defense and, uh, You know, the fact of the matter is Tennessee shoved them around, and Tennessee was the more physical team. Tennessee was the aggressor in a lot of cases and and did a lot of great things on the defensive end. Um, You know, Rick Barnes, I I put this on the board earlier. Um, When he came storming into Clemson uh, years ago, when he left Providence and left the Big East and and came rolling into Clemson, Clemson was just a – they weren't a sleeping giant. They were just a doormat. I mean, they were just a non-respected doormat. And he brought a style of play into that league that that league wanted no part of. And they were so, there was so much unrest about it. Um, you know, there, there's the whole Dean Smith, Rick Barnes gets called to the commissioner's house a la Days of Thunder, if you will, um, you know, kind of that scene. Um, which is ironic because Rick Barnes is from Hickory, North Carolina. But they, they get called to the commissioner's house to knock it off because they're going at each other. In every public setting, they can go after each other. Physically, they've gone after each other. And, and Rick Barnes was playing basketball the way the ACC thought was beneath them, to be honest with you. They, they thought that brand of basketball was beneath them and beneath who they were. And uh, Rick Barnes was fighting for respect, and, and he was a different Rick Barnes back then. He was not afraid to mix it up with anybody. And, um, and I think that I'm sure in the back of Rick Barnes's mind that that probably creaked back in when they were game planning and scouting for Duke, that we can go at them the way we used to when we were at Clemson. And uh, Duke didn't seem to handle it very well. Um, they didn't cry about it post-game. I mean, they talked about how physical it was, but I didn't see anything from John Shire talking about – you know how it was bad for the game, like some of these other national pundits have tried to imply out there. Uh, but but Tennessee went and Rick Barnes went big east on him is the best way to put it. I know the SEC is a physical league, um, <clears throat> but he did to an ACC team what he did to him years ago uh, when, when he was at Clemson. And uh, Tennessee, as a result, uh, advances to New York to, to play in the Sweet 16. And um, you just find a way. Right. It's the same team that that 48 hours earlier, Eric, had Louisiana on the ropes, let them off the hook, let Mm -hmm. them back in it. That game got really scary. Tennessee pulls it out. And and as a result of that, everybody had Tennessee losing by double digits to Duke. And then they come out and they take care of Duke 48 hours later. It's the beauty of this sport um, and this time of year in the tournament. It's about playing your best at the right time. It's about getting a break here and there. All of those things factor in, and and you just – to survive in advance and ride the wave. And right now, Tennessee's on top of the wave, getting ready to go to the Big Apple.
1: Uh, Megan just put up a photo a minute ago of uh, Lively Jr. and uh, Uros Plot just kind of kind bump at this there. And, you know, Uros is you – know, we watch Tennessee basketball, we over Tennessee basketball. We know how Uros plays. We've seen it time in and time out. We know his role in this team. But for those national plaudits that are just tuning in for tournament basketball, they never kind of seen that. And uh, I thought it was a little unfair, and I thought it was a little annoying, you know, seeing kind of that – uh Tennessee's the dirty team, Tennessee's a dirty team. I, I wouldn't go that far whatsoever. But Uros did say a, a nice little comment at post game. you can find over at VolQuest.com. It's like, hey, I wasn't gonna let a couple of freshmen derail my my senior season. I wasn't gonna let that happen. And um you know and he said I, I don't think you know Santiago or or uh, Olivier Cumwal thought that way either. And so that was kind of the mindset going in there. And I, I thought it was pretty sweet because Uros, though he didn't score points, though he only got three rebounds he had four fouls. I'm not saying he's the smartest player, but he played his role to a T against Duke in a game where Tennessee was considerably just not even being talked about going into it. And a guy that kind of speaks that language is former Tennessee basketball player Ron Slay, and uh, he's a big fan of Uros Plotts, just a big fan of you know what Rick Barnes is doing with Tennessee right now. Ron, welcome to the Rockies Out Rewind. Thanks so much. And how you feeling, man? The balls are sweet
2: 16 bound. Feeling good. So sweet. How sweet <laughs> it is. How well, sweet it is! Oh, long overdue, man. And I think this was the perfect time, man. This is the perfect time. Usually, when you when you come into March Madness and you have it scripted, that's exactly when the script is flipped. So I was feeling great that that people were counting them out, um, looking at them and saying they can't get past the first round. What's gonna happen if they ever meet up with Duke? And this is this is it. This is it. This is what you you got to load the bank on. Ron, when you look at that game, and you've
0: seen this Tennessee team play a bunch, right? I mean, you've seen them in person. You've seen them in the studio working for the SEC Network. You talk about them daily at, at 104.5 The Zone on, on your show. What was it that, as a basketball guy, you liked most about what they did against Duke yesterday?
2: Man, uh, attention to detail throughout the entire game. I think that was the, that was the most important part, um, I think, going into that game. And knowing that you could count on guys, like you went, actually you were able to play nine players and everybody was impactful. You know, even with blunders throughout the game, turnovers here and there, a couple of missed assignments, man, for the most part, you kind of felt that everybody was engaged the entire time. Even when a mistake was made, there wasn't a head drop. It was get right back and stay in tune to what everybody was trying to do. You saw it from the body language on the bench. You saw it from guys that were in the game. Um, picking each other up and then also just knowing who you were guarding and what you were trying to get to and then on the offensive end man I thought everybody was aggressive um that was the first time in a while that I saw the ball being rotated and guys attacking attacking the rim not attacking to pass it was like they were attacking to try to get to their spot to score if that was cut off they were able to get it back out <clears throat> to other guys and you know everybody was Still engaged trying to get back downhill. There was so many times that this team so selfish, unselfishly um passes up good shots to try to get a great shot. I thought, man, yesterday they were looking for good shots and taking those good shots. Um, and you could live with that, especially when you got you playing a traditional style of basketball with two bigs. Sometimes the best, the best, um, the best chance you have is putting it on the rim, you know, and let those guys get on there and bang and use that size and length. And they were able to do that
1: wrong. Well, we got Wayne saying the boom, boom room. King is here. Tony saying love slay <laughs> a great VFL. Um, Wayne's asking remember the Detroit bad boys. Uh, maybe that's a, you know, a reflection of what Tennessee maybe played like at times yesterday, but nonetheless, you, you brought up those two big men for Duke Phil Kowski, the offensive ACC rookie of the year. And uh, you have lively. Who's all about defense. One of my favorite stats from the Louisiana game was Jonas Adu was plus 15 on the court, scored six mm-hmm. points. Uros had an incredible nine points, huge in that game, obviously. He was minus 15. So the way Tennessee played Jordan Brown against Louisiana was really, really neat. How do you think Tennessee did with Philip Kowski, the offensive threat for Duke on Saturday?
2: I thought they did great. I thought they um, they did a great job of not letting them play in space, eating up space. when like As a finesse guy, and I learned later in my career, um playing pro ball when you're able to face up and be able to get to your jumper you're a a threat like no other than you are with your back playing to the basket filipowski is a guy man when he faces up it's a problem but if you can crowd that space and force him to go one way then it's a different it's a different element brought to his game that he you know a lot of people like to be comfortable you know especially offensive players so if you can be comfortable not get down there and bang um then you can get into your groove. And I don't feel he was able to get into his groove. Um, he was – so many bodies being thrown at him. I thought they did a terrific job of guarding him. And then making him defend on the other end. It was a lot of time they was posting up. And they still wasn't even um, – guys still wasn't getting the ball. But they were posting up, making him be engaged, putting him in the pick and roll action. So, it was no rest for him at all. So, I thought that was – that was big time, man. And that that's the thing. When you – I'm more – I'm more, I'm encouraged by seeing impactful numbers. So you look at Oscar Sheba, you can take him for example. The game he had when he had eight points and 25 rebounds was way more impactful than a 20 and 20 point performance. You know what I'm saying? Because of the timing of the buckets and Josiah, some of his jumpers, like you take Julian Phillips from the game, like those two dunks, (laughs) momentum wise were humongous it was like he had 10 points so you can go up and down the standings and find guys that have impactful minutes impactful numbers um and it may not even show in the stat sheet but it may be that time like santi in the first half that was it was everything you needed you know even if he was forcing shots like you needed that aggressivity so the other team so everybody else on the team could pick up and be like okay we got somebody that we know is going to get a shot. We know to go to the board. We know the shot's going up. We're not hesitating and trying to pass it while look, jumping up in the air. The ball's going up on the rim. So put your head down and get to the rim. Down box out, you get an opportunity. So I, I love the impactful numbers, man, that, that you saw from Phillips. You got to see. And and you didn't see from Filipowski in the second half.
0: Ron, what do you make of all the discussion about Tennessee from a physicality standpoint? Charles Barkley says it's great that, that that Tennessee did exactly what they had to do. It was it was it was the right brand of basketball. They were tremendous in how they played. Other people will say, you know, it was too physical. This, that, and the other. You've seen this league. You know the physicality of this league. You know the the game. What do you make of that, or do you think that's just people looking for a topic to talk about right now?
2: Man, I, I think it's it's a little bit of both. Um, I think this league has always been physical, um, and that's dating back to when I played, and I'm sure before I played. But you look at Florida when they were able to make their run. The reason they were, yeah, Mike Miller got the 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 spotlight, but man, Udonis Haslem and Donnell Harvey and Brent Wright and them doing all that dirty work down low. Like it was a dirty game down there, right? You just it gets overshadowed because you got some hell of an athletes, man, that make it look easy, and it's not. The reason Kentucky was good this year when they turned it on is because they got physical. There's no if fans or bust. Chris Livingston really can't shoot. So what does he end up do? Be a, a mismatch at the three and dive to the basket. Jacob Toppin, the same way. So when you look at the Vols, man, it's interesting to hear these people talking about it, saying it was a dirty game. and it, Michigan State been playing like this. For, for 20 years, by yeah, the way. <laughs> like Rick Pitino says when he comes out and plays, they can't call all the fouls. The referees can't call all the fouls. Man, I, I still got scars on my nose and everything when we play Louisville. Like, it's a part of the game. So for people to think that it's, <laughs> this is a dirty style of play, no, it's just matched. And that's the biggest thing I think that the SEC has over other conferences outside of the Big Ten is – the appetizer you get with the SEC tournament. That was the closest it's gonna be called to March Madness. Gotcha. Then when you get into March Madness, there isn't no, man, they let you play. Yeah, it's different. It's oh, it's, it's, oh my gosh. And people don't understand one, the lights. That's that's a big difference. Two, once you get in there, man, the refs would look at you, they might as well not even have a whistle. I remember been, that's why it's so important to have veterans ahead of you. Like I can come in and just um be wild as a freshman. Was, <laughs> I didn't have no responsibility, I'd just be a spark plug. Isaiah Victor, CJ Black, Tony Harris, Vince, all of them we got to play the right way. They <laughs> we need you 20 plus minutes. Me, all I needed was 12 to 18 minutes. Man, I'm gonna get in here wild as hell. <laughs> you know, take charges, run into people, go over the back, all of that, and they're gonna let it go. So right. Once you adjust to it and understand that this is a physical-style game and they, it's called in the NCAA tournament like no other, in the regular season, no conference that you're from, it's a different day and age when you get in that March Madness tournament. And it, you cannot – one thing you can't do, you can't um, you can't simulate it in practice. I think Michigan State get a good job. That's why that always do good in terms. People that are physical do good in terms. It's that yeah. simple.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's simple. Yeah, they do. Uh, let me ask you this, Ron. You were in this tournament as a freshman in advance to the second weekend, if, if my if my math and my years are all correct. You guys uh-huh. got to the second weekend of your freshman year. How difficult is it to stay locked in? What is it like playing the first weekend versus the second weekend? You've been in that grind where you play twice a week, and then you get in the SEC tournament where you play back-to-back. Now, all of a sudden – you went on Saturday and you don't play again for four days. Uh-huh. What are the challenges for this basketball team based on your experiences? Playing in on, on the second weekend of this tournament versus the first
2: weekend? Man, the first weekend, you're just trying to get through the first game, you know, and you you locked in. The second going into the after you get past that those first two games, going into the second weekend, to me, it became a lot easier because it was less teams to focus on. You were more of a focal point. Um, so you felt like the spotlight was on you, you had been through it, you were experienced. So you went through practice as normal as possible because whatever you did the week before worked. So you're going to try to recreate that same exact thing. I think the most difficult part, um, is when a monkey wrench is thrown in, um, during the game or you have a, you have a, a, so our problem comparing it to us, we were ready for North Carolina. Hands down, there ain't no question about it. Scouting report was, whew, to a T. We knew exactly what they were going to do. The whole problem came in is when Haywood fouled out. So that was the monkey wrench thrown into the game. If Haywood stays in that game and doesn't foul out, we beat them easily. With no question. Because they run the offense through them. And like Tennessee now, we got plenty of bodies to throw at them as the big. So we'll live with that. Um, the monkey wrench was when he fouled out and the ball was put in air coda's hand and they just start freelancing. They stopped running offense, and he just controlled it. And we were kind of like, "Oh, whoa, wait, wait a minute!" You know, this this ain't what we were prepared for. We, were, if this was the style we started with, the running gun style, let's do it. We with it, but that's not what we were with. So, I think that caught us a little off guard. And it also, I think, just in the back of our mind, we were ready to play Tulsa. We knew we had Carolina out the way, and we wanted to get them back from when they beat us early in that year. So, I think the 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 toughest thing. Once you get past the first round, is to stay locked in on that game. You gotta stay locked in on that game. You can't look at it until it's zero seconds on the clock. Man, you really don't even need to play. I would advise a team, don't even play the time. All you playing is timeout to timeout to timeout, media timeouts. If you can do that, you win each media timeout, <laughs> you'll be fine. And that's the way I would play it, man. I, that clock is dangerous. You gotta stay away from that clock, and it's so difficult, man, because. You can feel it. You can feel it. That's why you need veteran. I think this is why this is a a, a really good bunch with Tennessee, minus um missing Zakai as an emotional lift um and defensive um net that he is. But man, you you got these guys that are veterans that have been there. So if you need somebody to lean on, you got guys that you can lean on that have been there before. And I think that's a that's an advantage.
1: Tennessee's going to take on uh, the winner of FAU or FDU. That game's going on right now. FAU's got a quick six-point lead. Uh, but we do have a question for you from Dustin a the Super Chat. Dustin, thank you so much for your contribution. And this is a great question for you, Ron. The game has changed a little bit, man, but do you, are we going to see a resurgence of recruiting the big man, specifically footwork, moves under the hoop, finesse, or is it too far gone toward the opposite
2: direction of the NBA? Dustin, I'd ask you, who going to put me on their staff? that's what i that's what i that's what i think it'll (laughs) it'll come back no i i I think man it is it's a different day and age but i think that there is times in the game that you need it i think i feel you always need it in transition and i I, we see it a little bit and i think tennessee is really good when we see it when that first rim runner runs to the front of the rim and starts posting but you also got to have a guard that's trying to get in there like zakai was that I have a guy try to come over to help, and that's how you get drop-offs to Eros e- and um, Eros and Olivier, and they do. But if you don't have a guard that can push the pace, it's kind of an and void. Um, so I-, I think now you have basketball in a positionless state, and it's kind of difficult to tell a guy 6'9", 6'10", hey, man, you got to get down here on the block, take the easy shot. When you see all your peers growing up, and everybody's on the perimeter hounding the ball. You want to be a part of that. And then I mean, you look at guys like Brandon Miller. Um, <laughs> he would have been, he would have been a guy that that would have been on the block. But here he is being able to run the point. The Victor, I don't even know how you say his name from France, seven-four. Whoever would have thought we would have been in the time and age where we would have been running the one through the four instead of playing the five. So it's kind of evolving. Um, that's a little bit of the game, but it is a place for guys like Tobey Walker um Grant Williams to get in there and be able to use your footwork when you're undersized I think you more so get it with undersized guys now than you do with guys that are 6'10, 611 trying to use footwork and I, I think it is it's gonna be difficult to go back to that man because it, it's a trickle-down effect whatever the NBA um adopts that's kind of what everybody else goes through college and then on down to, the grassroots so it's going to be hard, Dustin, man, to to get that back, but I hope I hope so because, I mean, the Boom Boom Room will have mothballs in it if we don't get somebody to come down there and go to work.
1: He is the owner, CEO, captain of the <laughs> Boom Boom Room. That is Ron Slay. You can catch him on 104.5 The Zone, 3HL, 3-6, to and uh, ESPN, SEC Network, dudes everywhere, man. Ron, appreciate it, man. Of course, VFL, Ron Slay. Thanks there so much. my time man.
2: up, man. What happened?
1: hey you can stay on the whole hour if you need if yeah, you need it I got more questions we can still roll we tell some old stories right hey I'm always
2: with it Brent you know that, we, man. Can, we can talk about pizzas in Hawaii we can <laughs> talk about all kinds of things yeah we'll say that for the after, um the after party
0: version yeah we'll save that one for the after party <laughs> off the air that's for sure my man hey I know you're swamped man we we definitely appreciate it. congratulations yeah, thanks, on everything that you've done, you were you've been fantastic on the network on the SEC network. Slay rods,
1: baby! I'm telling you, <laughs> you, you keep
0: doing your thing, man. It's great to see you evolve and grow and, and become national. So keep those suits it, clean, and and we look forward to you on the airways, <laughs> my man.
2: Appreciate it. I'm challenging stack, man. I'm I'm challenging stackhouse somehow, some way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right, Thanks, you know. brother. Appreciate you, man.
1: That is VFL Rod Slay, and uh, kind of out the door here. We'll talk more hoops. Don't worry. We got Grant coming on in about 10 minutes. Wayne says, hey, balls need another elite guard. Guard play in March is extremely important. Go balls. Wayne could not agree more. Thanks so much for uh, your contribution to the show. Appreciate all you guys. We'll come back, talk a little baseball. We'll talk hoops. We'll talk football spring practice. Go back and and listen and watch the Ron Slay. That was was awesome. Love to get him on again, hopefully uh, before basketball season's over. But Uh, Before we get into all that, let me tell you about our friends over at MyBookie. March Madness, it's officially begun. Hey, Tennessee's on to the Sweet 16. It's time for you to shoot your shot and score big with a nonstop action over at MyBookie. Whether you're filling out brackets, betting on the eventual national championship winner, or simply looking for a player for game props, MyBookie has got you covered. Getting started with MyBookie is super simple. Visit the website online, make your first deposit, use the promo code VOLQUEST to claim an exclusive deposit bonus. That's promo code VOLQUEST, V-O-L-Q-U-E-S-T, to claim your extra money on top of your initial deposit. With hundreds and thousands of prizes for March Madness and weekly blackjack tournaments, turn your game day into a payday over at MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. More coming up on the Rocky Top Rewind when we return.
0: Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Brent Hubs along with Eric Kane. We talked some Tennessee basketball on Slay. Grant Ramey's going to talk some Tennessee hoops. i tell you what, let's go ahead and talk some Tennessee hoops with Grant Ramey right now. We'll dive into baseball here in just a minute, I promise you, because – There's plenty to talk about with baseball because it did not go well this weekend, but it did go well for the Tennessee basketball team. Grant Ramey is somewhere. We're not sure where because travel (laughs) return from Orlando has been a challenge all day long, I think, for everybody. Grant, just your thoughts um, a day later, uh, you know, after sleeping on it a bit, if you will, your thoughts on this basketball team being able to put it together the way they did against Duke. To put themselves into the Big Apple and and what is Rick Barnes' favorite place to play basketball next weekend?
3: I think it's the NCAA tournament. I think you never know what to expect until you see forty minutes of whatever's on the floor in front of you. Um, I mean, we've talked about it all season long with this team. You don't know what they're going to be night in and night out. Um, Duke had won ten games in a row. They hadn't lost since early February. Um, they were in a similar position it felt like Tennessee was in a year ago where Tennessee had won eight in a row going in they'd won their conference tournament they're red hot then you run into a, team, into a team in the second day of the tournament I think when you're in this tournament you need to remember what it feels like to get punched in the mouth and know how to punch back and when you ha- when you haven't lost in a long time and somebody comes out and kind of puts it on you early and sets the tone physically and in, in terms of aggression and just getting after it it's kind of hard to respond and And once you do respond, it's, you know, are you down? How much time's left? You're starting to count possessions. You're starting to worry about your season ending uh, if you don't come up with the right response. So I think Tennessee came out the aggressor, the underdog. I think they love that role. Uh, They love being doubted. They love nobody kind of picking them or being in their corner. They want it to be them against the world. Um, It's been that way basically since, you know, February 1st when the calendar flipped over and they went to Florida and lost and started that stretch of, whatever it was, six out of their last 13 that they had lost or seven, whatever it was, going into the uh, the NCAA tournament. So they found a way to win two games, and, and it, that's just the tournament. You, you never know what you're going to get until you get there and see what the matchups are and just see how it plays out. And, and they're still alive. They've made an improbable kind of nobody thought they were going to make a run to the Sweet 16. You knew they had the talent. It was just a question of which team was going to show up
1: you look at this game, and there's there's a lot of storylines. The physicality, obviously Santiago Vetsky in the first half was phenomenal. Uh, limiting the turnovers went from 18 against Louisiana to only 9 in the game. That was that was big, but, I mean, Olivier Cumwall, 23 points in the second half, and, you know, he had this type of effort against Texas. Huge, huge game uh, for the Volunteers then. I mean, we, we shouldn't expect him to score 20-plus every single game, but, I mean, he was on another planet the other day.
3: And it, it felt very much like that Texas game. And when he's playing at that level, and obviously you're not going to expect him to play consistently at that level, Tennessee can beat anybody in the country. If you can beat Texas, if you can beat Duke, you can play with anybody in the country. To do it in March on that stage, it's one thing to do it at home in front of a sold out crowd, and, and you got all the momentum behind you and whatever in January. It's a completely different animal to do it in March in a gym where Tennessee probably had the noise factor in their favor, but I don't think Tennessee fans had the numbers factor uh, in terms of how many people were in that gym uh, wearing Tennessee colors. So to do it on a neutral floor in March with your season on the line against a blue blood, you know, brand name opponent like Duke, and for him to hit the shots that he did to extend the lead or to just match a shot that Duke had on the other end. It felt like anytime Duke had an answer, uh, Olivier came down and hit a huge shot and it was the threes. It was a dunk. It was that crazy and one where he's fallen away from, or he's fallen down toward the baseline. Uh, when he plays like that, this team is really, really hard to beat.
0: Yeah. Grant. I mean, I think that's the thing that stands out. And, and obviously Santi would, in and what they did in that run at the end of the first half to not let the game get away from them should not get lost. But in the second half, Duke had a five, nothing run um before right around the first media timeout after that they didn't have basically back to back buckets i mean do tennessee answered everything which is really something that i wondered whether this team could do it when you look at what happened to them at auburn to close out the game missouri the last 2 minutes was it all olivier is that why or what was different about this team to where they answered the bell in the closing minutes of a game and did not get Did not have one of those late droughts like we saw after Zakai got hurt. I think Olivier gets
3: the biggest shine, but I think in no way was it only Olivier. Santi hit some huge shots. Until Olivier started to take over in that second half, Santi was the story of that game because he was so in control on both ends. And Eric pointed out, and I should have mentioned it, or I should have touched on it, they had four turnovers in the first eight minutes, and I think they might have had, I don't know, five turnovers over the next 32 minutes. I can't remember what their total was but it was under 10, and they forced 15 from Duke. But it was Olivier hitting shots. It was Santi hitting shots. It was Santi being in control. I mean, Josiah didn't really play well in the first half, but you look at his stat line at the end of the night, he had seven points. He had five rebounds. He had four assists. He had three steals. I mean, that's affecting the game every way you could affect it, and he didn't shoot it particularly well. Uh, Jonas Sadu blocking shots on the baseline. I mean, that's a Durham, North Carolina guy that never got a Duke offer. He grew up a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. That game meant something different to guys like that. Uh, Josiah got recruited to do by John Shire. That game means something different to Josiah. So. And these guys just want to keep going. They have this us against the world mentality. When you get to this stage, that your biggest, the biggest goal you have is just to win a game and get to the next game. And they were able to do that, I think, because of contributions up and down the roster. Rick said it after the game, and, and he was right in saying, I don't think there's a guy that they put in the game that didn't
0: help them somewhere, uh, former fashion. With that being said, and you wrote about this this morning at VolQuest, how does this team go from being Rocky in in you know Sylvester Stallone and Rocky Four right against against the Russian to now they are the favorite? Everybody is not just penciling them in; they're inking them in, regardless of who wins this game that's going on right now. They're inking them into the elite eight. Whether it's a Tennessee fan, whether it's a media person, whatever. How does this team? continue to play with a chip when they're going to become the darling this week, Grant?
3: It better be hammered into their heads,
0: you know, 24 hours a day until tip off Thursday against whoever they play.
3: And if they play Florida Atlantic, if that Fairleigh Dickinson 16 seed Cinderella run ends in the second round, which it's insane that they're here to begin with, but that's a 33 win Florida Atlantic team entering the second round. They could be sitting on 34 wins come Thursday. That's a really good basketball team. Uh, number 21 overall in the Ken Palm. They're ranked 25th in the country in the AP poll. So that's not some, you know, that's not some Conference USA foe. Um, but for Tennessee, it's, it's something that, you know, they can play against Alabama. They can play against Texas. They can play against Kansas. They can play against Duke. They're going to meet the, the, you know, they're going to meet the competition when it's those big-name programs or those highly-ranked programs. And, and Rod Clark told me in the locker room after the game, we worry more about the Louisiana's than the Duke's. And I think we saw that in the first round, the way they kind of struggled to put Louisiana away. And we've seen it all season where Vanderbilt trips them up or uh, Florida trips them up or whoever it is, Missouri. Um, And you also look at Missouri. Missouri losing to Princeton the way they did, that's that's a big warning sign. Because Tennessee was in that same spot in 2018 when it felt like they were way ahead of schedule. They're a really good story out of the SEC. Nobody expected them to be there. And that 11 seed, Loyola, beats Miami in the first round, and you're thinking suddenly the brackets opened up for us. Uh, the one seed lost that year as well, Virginia to UMBC, and you're thinking all this stuff, you're looking down the road, and then lo and behold, Loyola sneaks up and plays better than you for 40 minutes and sends you home, just like Princeton, whipped Missouri, a really good Missouri team that, that took it to Tennessee uh, twice this season, uh, and suddenly Missouri's season's over. So Tennessee better stay on edge. That's what they have to do. They have to keep that chip on their shoulder, Nobody's picking you. You're the you're the you know the hunter, not the hunted. Whatever mentality you got to tell this team, because they cannot lose their edge if if they want this thing to keep going. It's there for the taking. The bracket has opened up. It's a three in Kansas State. It's a four in Tennessee. It's a seven in Michigan State, and it's either a nine or a sixteen in Florida Atlantic uh, or Fairleigh Dickinson. So the bracket's there, but if you don't take advantage of it, you don't take advantage of it.
1: Grant, how can a guy like Santiago Vescovi, you know, only put up three shots? I understand he had some foul trouble against Louisiana, um, but it just felt like he really wasn't a part of the game plan. He wasn't aggressive or anything. How can you go from that type of performance to where he is so aggressive and he is so critical to everything Tennessee did in the first half against Duke? It just kind of seems like polar opposites. Probably a little
3: bit of desperation. I think he probably remembers how well Michigan took him out of the game a year ago and when they ended their season in the second round and he struggled to do anything. And credit Louisiana. Louisiana was tough on Santi. That first possession, there was a double team and he went to the floor and he got up and it was like, this is what it's going to be the rest of the night. And, and they keyed on Santiago and dared other people to beat him and, and Tennessee had enough for other players to beat them. Um, And there was some frustration there that that you saw in front of the Louisiana bench and the technicals and all that stuff that happened. But I think he remembered, A, what happened in the Louisiana game, prior to what happened in the Michigan game a year ago. Like, he can't be taken out of the game. He's got to be there for this Tennessee team, especially now more than ever with Sakai out. I mean, even last year, you had Kennedy Channel, you had Sakai's Eagle, you had Josiah, you had whoever else to help him. But you still needed him to be the guy. Now it's even more so. He's got to be the guy. He's got to be a guy that finds ways to produce and be effective on both ends of the floor. And you look at his blocks, his steals yesterday, the shots he hit. Uh, I mean, like I said, Olivier's the story. But for a long part of that game, Santi was the story based on the way he controlled it. And that's what he's got to do and find a way to do that same level of desperation uh, in the second weekend.
0: Can Olivier put it back to back? And I'm not saying he's got to score 27 and 28, 29 points, but but can he continue to be You know, that aggressive. I mean, we've seen some games where Grant, he's shot double digit shots and we've seen some games where, you know, he shot more three point shots than he has, you know, layups, if you will. It was I guess I'm asking probably the unanswerable question. Is there any consistency to come out of what he did on that stage with the world watching?
3: I don't know. It's, it is, I think, unanswerable at this point. I think it's wait and see. Uh, I think it, it could be remedied, too, by other people. I think is going to shoot it better at some point. I think he's more – he can be a lot closer to what he was against Ole Miss in the first round of the SEC tournament than he has been against uh, Missouri the next day, or he was against Louisiana, or he was against um, Duke on, on Sunday or Saturday, whatever day it is. I don't know at this point. Uh, so – it's, I don't think it has to be Olivier. He's got to give you something. He can't disappear. He can't – he's not going to score you 27, 28 tonight, whatever, and go off and look like an NBA draft pick. But he's got to give you something consistent, whatever, points, rebounding. He can't just be uh, scoring. He's got to be a little bit above. But he's got to do something. I think Josiah's got to be a little bit better. And I think uh, across the board there can be some other guys that help them a little bit more. But until you see it from Olivia, it's, it's it's hard to answer because we just haven't seen it consistently enough through whatever it's been, 35 games or so.
1: Grant, great coverage. You and Rob did an awesome job down in Orlando. Um, I know you don't have the schedule per se just yet. We know Tennessee's going to play on Thursday, but kind of what's out the door, what's this week look like for the Volunteers?
3: Uh, they'll be up there Tuesday to New York, uh, travel day Tuesday. They'll be, uh, at Madison square garden Wednesday for press conferences and shoot arounds. They'll have a practice gym at somewhere in the New York city area uh, where they'll practice and do more stuff. They'll do more shoot around the arena. Some point, probably Wednesday afternoon, they'll play Thursday evening. I don't know. It'll be an early or late game, probably in the seven o'clock or nine o'clock time slot. Uh, it'll depend on how these Sunday night games go. They'll release the schedule. I assume sometime late Sunday night. Uh, and then if you win, you stick around and, and you practice and you shoot around Friday, kind of similar thing. we will talk and all that stuff, and then uh, you're back at it Saturday. So uh, it's another thing where you want to go to New York Tuesday if you're Tennessee, you want to be there until Saturday night, as late as you can be there, because that means you probably have a lot of success. So uh, it's, it's as quickly as it feels like you get back in town, you're turning around going back out of town, which is probably a good thing to get on the road to be with your teammates just to get right back into that tournament. Four-team tournament, two games, take care of business, see how long you can keep this thing alive.
1: Best coverage of Tennessee basketball on to the Sweet 16. You can find it from Rob Lewis and Grant Ramey, that guy right there at VolQuest.com. Grant, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks, boys. See y'all. Appreciate you, man. Uh right, we'll continue talking about Tennessee that hoops. was his travel hat game, by the way, if you were curious. the what? That was his travel hat game okay. that he had going on there. You know, very low-key, was not anything out of the great that was not anything out of the the really good hat collection. That was the travel hat wear for, for Grant Ramey is he's going to throw some clothes in the wash machine and <laughs> get them clean and repack and roll back out of town to, to, to give everybody on Quest, um all of the coverage that you could ever want for, for this Tennessee basketball team as they get ready to play in the Sweet Sixteen.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like, you know, where on the world is Waldo? Where in the world is Grant Ramey? Because, you know, his background was kind of all blurry. So I didn't, who knows where he did? He probably did that on the side of the interstate. Uh, I don't yeah, know. It may
0: have. It may have. I know, I know Rob's trying to get home and, and he's he's in an airport somewhere um, <laughs> hoping to catch a flight, but it's getting late. So I don't know if that flight's going to happen or not. A lot, a lot of delays going on right now. Travel Travel is not an easy thing, and quick turnaround travel is a really challenging thing.
1: It's sweeter, though, when you're coming back uh, with a Tennessee win and, and, you know, more games to cover, that's for sure. But we'll come back. We'll talk more Tennessee basketball on the Sweet 16, little Tennessee baseball. Spring football practice begins this week. All that to come right here on the Rocky Top Re1.
0: hub's eric kane while it went well for the tennessee uh, basketball team to get to uh, new york in the sweet 16 it was a rough trip to missouri for the tennessee baseball team eric kane this is supposed to be and look there's no panic here right this season's not a wash it's not over they're not gonna not make it to um you know hoover and nobody's talking about all that stuff right now so everybody just slow the brakes there but this is a series when you looked at it on the schedule. You thought, go get that series on the road because you know what's coming down the schedule next. And Eric, they just did not play very well. They didn't give themselves a chance to win any of the three games in Missouri. Your biggest takeaway on what you saw out of this baseball team getting swept at Missouri this weekend?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I was joking with the guys in the thread during game two of uh, the doubleheader today. Um, you know, when, when riding my quick takes following the doubleheader, I mean, it's all negative, and and I don't view myself as a negative person, but I mean, there's re- there's really not that much to write about other than what went wrong. And I think of the many things that went wrong for Tennessee. I mean, it's, it's got to be starting pitching. I mean, you hang your hat on those three horses and Drew Beam and Chase Burns and Chase Dolander when you're trying to figure out that lineup, knowing the lineup is not as deep as it has been in years past, knowing that there's some holes in the bottom third of that order, knowing the aggressiveness of this lineup—they're going to strike out. They're Going to leave some guys on base, but you can always your hang your hat on those starters. Well, Chase Dolander got served up for four in the first inning on Friday night. Chase Burns, some self-inflicting wounds uh, for for Drew Beam in his start in the third inning. And and then for Chase Burns, he had 10 strikeouts, but still got tagged up a little bit and didn't have much defense behind him. So um, that was my biggest takeaway. The starting pitching was not crisp. Um, it was It was not as sharp as it should have been. And let's give Missouri credit. This is not the worst team in the SEC East. Tennessee played like the worst team in the SEC East this weekend, for sure. But there's some hitters. There's some veterans in that Missouri lineup. I'm not saying they're going to go postseason play, but they were ready for Tennessee. They controlled the elements to the best of their abilities, and and they they just whipped Tennessee on a weekend where nothing went right. And as you pointed out, season's not over. Calm down. Take a deep breath. But you come back, A&M's a good team this weekend. LSU in two weeks. Fayetteville's on that schedule later in in, um, in April. And, of course, you've got – Florida Vanderbilt, it's it's not going to get any easier.
0: No, it's, it doesn't. That all the pressure is on Tennessee coming into next weekend as they host Texas A and M before they go to Baton Rouge. A um, and M takes one of gets one on, on the on a road swing to Baton Rouge. They avoid getting swept. Uh, but this is not the place you, you don't want to start zero three in SEC play, and that's where Tennessee's got themselves. Is your bigger concern the the pitching or the defense behind the pitching and i asked that because we have seen the effectiveness of these pitchers before didn't see it this weekend this is a whole new collection of guys behind them what by, what concerns you the most big pitcher moving forward is it the starting pitching getting knocked around is it not getting enough help behind them as they did in this weekend, particularly in that last game today. It looked like Tennessee was ready to get on a plane and come home today. I mean, I don't don't know that Drew Beam gave up an earned – I don't think he gave up an earned run today. I'm not sure Tennessee gave up an earned run in that last game all told. What's your bigger concern after watching them this weekend?
1: No, that's a good point. Yeah, Drew Beam, he gave up, I want to say, five runs, none of which were earned. But (laughs) – it's it's kind of funny baseball is funny right uh the first error that kind of led to the downfall was the throwing error by him right you know so it was still self-inflicting now I've uh, we've seen these pitchers throw too many times to where if, if if it starts getting consecutive starts where they're not looking that great then maybe there's some worry there but I'm not worried about this these three starters a uh, bullpen what fantastic but I'm not worried about the bullpen I'm worried about the defense um you know we know Tennessee's outfield it's not the most athletic outfield it's not the fastest outfield. And the guys they want to play, Cavaris Tears, you know D- uh, Dylan Dryling, those guys can hit, but they're they're not great in the field. The guys that they feel comfortable playing, and Christian Scott, who got the start in Game Three, and Cal Booker, uh, they, they they just can't keep going over at the plate. So that that that's kind of the dilemma there. But uh, you had some bad play in the outfield, and I understand Friday was just atrocious. I mean, there was you know 30 mile an hour winds. It was tough to play anywhere. I get all that, but. You have Maui and Huna that can't catch a simple pop-up in the infield. I mean, that's that's concerning to me. You have Blake Burke that had his foot off the bag twice today, one of which was an error that led to a run. Um, you have Christian Moore that dropped a simple flip from from Maui to, to to Moore at the bag at second base to get out of an inning, just dropped it. I mean, that's the concerning thing right now. And again, I'm not saying the season's over, and I, I don't want you to believe that either. But, I mean, that that that's alarming when your lineup is not as deep and obviously you don't have your best stuff on the road in sec play. So pitching staff, they need to figure, they need to, you know, get back in gear, which I'm sure they will, but the defense is the bigger concern for me.
0: All right. Last baseball question before we get Austin in here, and I'm not making excuses. How big of a factor do you think the weather was in this series for this team? Not that they're going to make excuses. We know Tony Vitello's not, how much did it play a factor in for Tennessee? You think,
1: I mean, Friday, the wind, I mean, it was cold all weekend long. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, Friday, the wind was difficult, but Again, you and maybe Missouri, you know, practices in that more, and they can they they kind of know how to play the winds a little bit, if you want to call it that. I I would say more than anything, sure, it had something to do with it, but I mean that that's not why Tennessee lost. That's not why Tennessee was held to one hit in game three. That's not why Tennessee was held to three hits in game one. I mean, just anywhere you want to look at it, every single area of Tennessee baseball this weekend was poor. I mean, it really was. So the elements were not ideal. There was snow on the ground. <laughs> to begin the day in the outfield on the warning track. That is not ideal. But Tennessee lost this weekend. Tennessee was swept this weekend simply because they just they just got whipped in every area. And again, you come back, try to figure it out in the midweek, A&M this weekend, season's not over. You have so much talent on this roster. Starting pitching is still good, but this weekend it just wasn't.
0: Yep, got to be better with AM coming to town for sure as Tennessee's put themselves in a hole. That's an update on Tennessee baseball. Tomorrow morning, the Tennessee football team goes to the practice field to kick off year three of spring practice under Tennessee head coach Josh Heupel. Austin Price joins us here to talk about all things Tennessee, but we'll focus on football here to get out the door. A- AP, this feels different, okay? I mean, I, and I don't want to make too much out of a spring practice because Lord knows I've covered too many of them in my career to get caught up in a, in a whole bunch of things about spring practice. But this one does feel different than Josh Hypel's first two spring practices because it feels like it's going to be more competitive.
4: 100%. And who knows? We're trying to hype up the spring practice bill tomorrow after that sweep on Missouri. <laughs> I mean, you got to get some excitement somewhere. I mean, basketball <laughs> – On to the Sweet 16, baseball with a dud. You would have to think they'll bounce back next weekend at home. Now, football-wise, you're right. There's a lot more depth. And, you know, uh, I'm not saying that you're going to count on all these freshmen right out of the gate. No, you're not. But when you get to the third linebacker and the fourth linebacker and the fifth linebacker, a year ago there was a significant drop-off. Two years ago – I've made this joke for 400 times, and I'll make it 401. The three of us were playing, as the third, fourth, and fifth linebacker, sometimes as the first and second. So, it just feels different. There, it's more competitive. There's some, there, there's a heck of a lot more depth. There's more competitive depth, and in all positions, really. I mean, you feel like, oh man, they got a lot of guys in the secondary. Now they got to figure who those guys are and what they can do. A lot more guys at linebacker. A lot of excitement at that position defensive line, a lot of the same type names, uh, you know but what is what does James Pierce look like in year two? You know what's Josh Josephs look like? What's Caleb Herring look like? You know Tyree West is another one where you're like, you know does he take a huge leap because I think that ultimately that's where Tennessee takes the leap as a program is with the defensive side of the ball and then there's a lot of hype around you know Dante Thornton and Squirrel White's trying to build off what he did last year offensively. What can McCallan Castle's the transfer tight end do? What's Joe Milton look like? What about Nico, right? I mean, everybody wants to talk about Nico. And then of course, what does Tennessee look like at running back? What's Cam Seldon look like? Just a lot more storylines, a lot more able bodies, a lot more depth. And thus there is more excitement heading in to spring number three under Josh Hyde.
1: Austin, awesome. real quick, who were who are some guys that we're gonna be on the lookout for this spring who might be limited or no work, you know, coming off offseason procedures and surgeries?
4: Well, I mean, we'll start with Tyler Barron. I mean, like, you know, I'm not sure how much he gets done. Brew McCoy, it will be a no-go, you know, for spring outside of – in real work. Um, You know, ultimately, I still think they're pretty healthy on the whole. I mean, there's going to be a few guys that are out or are limited to individual periods only. But for the most part, this is a pretty healthy football team with uh, just a few exceptions. Javari Small is one that will not go through spring after having – shoulder surgery uh, in the offseason. Remember, they avoided the the, the wrist surgery with Jalen Wright. He'll be good to go. And by all accounts, he is carrying himself as a guy who's ready to take a major leap in his third year in the program. And, you know, we'll see if that comes to fruition. Again, it's easy to say he's carrying himself. He's got to put that in play and actually show he can do it, right? I mean, he, he, he showed flashes last year that he can be, the, be a, a, a real guy. Can he be the guy? Tennessee's looking for a tailback and then again these young guys pushing him what do they do as well
0: yeah it should be entertaining there for sure and uh I think this is a big deal for for some receivers and Tony asked this question down here too uh if Bruce Squirrel and Thornton start at receiver how does Ramel Keaton see the field barring injury from someone I think he's earned playing time a lot of playing time how does he get on the field Keaton has proven himself Austin I think he's I think they find a way to get him some snaps cuz you can you feel comfortable with him but then what about a Caleb Webb you know what what about um, some of these guys who, who did not play last year uh, who are in year 2 to go along with a Nathan Laycock? this feels like a big spring for some of those guys not named Bruce Squirrel and Thornton fair or not fair
4: oh 100% it's fair and and let's face it in today's world hubs if you don't play right out of the gate, what's everybody's natural reaction if you're the player? Oh, man, I'm not playing. i got to go somewhere else. You know, and so if those guys can't be a factor and can't get on the field, how much do they get the itch to bolt out of here after this coming year? You know you're losing Brew. You know you're losing Ramel Keaton. Dante Thornton with a good year could be a one-and-done type guy. You know, and, you know, that's you know, I mean, we're putting put the cart ahead of the horse right now. Dante Thornton's done very little at Oregon, but he shows – Massive promise, showed huge promise at the end of the year. By that point, he was done and Eugene ready to move on. What does he do in year one here, right? I mean, what kind of impact does he have? I think they get Ramel Keaton on the field because I think Squirrel can be slot, Dante can be slot. So if you're giving one of those guys a break, Ramel's in the game. If Brew has to not play, Ramel's in the game. Like, I I think – Rommel is a guy who's just a glue guy for you, uh, you know, a teammate, a consummate teammate, consummate pro, um, you know. But, I mean, with those younger receivers, talking about, you know, Chaz Nimrod, Caleb Webb, you know, one does have to wonder, especially with with uh, Squirrel, who's in their class, making an impact, do they get antsy if they don't play? That That's going to be the question with all players across all positions at every school in America. If you don't play – significant time by the time you're done with your sophomore or red shirt freshman year, which means you've been in the program for two years. Do you sit back and, and, and give it a go in year three, or do you get antsy and bolt? I, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out because I think Josh Heupel, Joey Halsley, they're going to have to find a way to get those guys involved somehow, or they can lose them long term because i think mentally you can lose them in a hurry if they're not playing this fall. Now again, this spring they're going to get plenty of reps, they're going to catch balls. they will be fine this spring. It's what when it when it gets 2 weeks into the fall camp and everything starts getting pared down, when we get 2 weeks into the season and it's really pared down, where are those players at? Are they a factor or are they watching?
1: You know also that's funny like Tennessee is Tennessee is trying to replace a who should have been a Heisman finalist and Hooker quarterback. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not even worried about the quarterback position because we kind of know who Joe is. We saw him the last two games of the season. He's a veteran. This will be a sixth season in college and all that. And, you know, the Deco factor, everybody wants to watch him. But is it wrong for me not even worry about that? My One of my main focuses this spring is the offensive line. Kind of on that note with those receivers, it's a big spring for those sophomore offensive linemen. Kind of figuring out who they are, where are they. Tennessee's trying to replace two starters on the offensive line. You're welcome them in. Keurig is he a guard a tackle John Campbell is he right side left side a lot of my focus is on the offensive line here in this spring practice and not even really on a new quarterback who Tennessee's got to replace a lot of production from Hendon Hooker
4: you're not wrong but I wouldn't call you right either because I don't think you can I don't think you can just go oh Joe's gonna be fine like mm-hmm. I you know, he, you know he had a month to prepare for Clemson he played really well I wouldn't say it was all world um you know, but what? how much can he grow this offseason? You know, I mean, Hendon's not here anymore. So now Joe's the unquestioned leader in that room. Uh, Tennessee had that really nice benefit last year of having veteran Hendon Hooker backed up by veteran Joe Milton. And then a, a freshman in Taven Jackson, and then, you know, go down from there, Gaston Moore. This coming year, you've got veteran, you know, Joe Milton backed up by, Gaston Moore and then Nico, who again comes in with all the weight of the world on him because of, you know, the NIL stuff and and and, and the five star status and number one player in the country ball on three and all this. I think Nico can handle it. I think he's got big broad shoulders. My point though is is I just don't think that you can go, yep, yeah, Dennis is good at quarterback. I think there's unlimited potential in that room. But I don't think you can just definitely say everything's hunky-dory you don't have to worry about it it's a turnkey operation we're good but where you're totally correct is the offensive line is exactly where I'm looking this spring because you're right they've got to figure out how to replace Darnell Wright (laughs) and good luck good luck to you know to to Glenn Ellerby because while I think John Campbell is fine he's not Darnell Wright in my opinion and so how much growth can he get out of J.J. Crawford how much growth can he get out of Gerald Mincy What's John Campbell look like? How do they play him? Is Campbell solely left? If that's the case, then they're going to shift those other guys to the right. Neither, none of them have really played a whole lot of right tackle. And then I think they'll be fine guard to guard. I think there's more depth there. But it's going to be interesting to see who kind of fills into that spot where Jerome Carvin exits. And then who's the backup center? I mean, they've had this great luxury of if Cooper goes down, they just move Jerome inside. And it's, a, it's a, that was a turnkey operation for that position. They no longer have that. And so, um, you know, I I think this offensive line stuff, it's going to be really fascinating to watch and watch it play out this spring into the summer and into fall.
0: All right, last question here before we get out the door. Dustin's got one for us here. Thanks for the super chat, Dustin. Do we continue to see more under center and short yardage situations like we did in year two with Hendon Hooker? It seemed to be productive in addition to some of the other sneaky formations that they run. Do you think they stay under center with a big Joe Milton in short yardage, JP?
4: I think there's a real chance that they do. And let's face it, Joe's a big body. Um, you know, the, the key to this, this quarterback, you know, sneaks though is being able to get low. Can Joe get that low? I mean, he's just so big. I mean, you know, I, that, that that's again something that I think you have to see to kind of understand it. Henda was really good at it. But again, now that, you know, you don't have, you know, it's not against the rules to come in there and, Know, for Jalen Wright to come in there and push Joe Milton, um, you know, from behind. I, I think you still see a lot of under center stuff, especially in short yardage. And I think Tennessee would be wise to do so. That was part of their, uh, their trademark a year ago was the ability to pick up short yardage, which in year one, it was not their trademark. They really kind of perfected that last year. Can they have similar success? I guess time will tell.
0: Yeah, all said I. One of the things that worked short yardage was Darnell Wright and Jerome Carvin to run behind, which were two veterans there. Uh, but you've got the Jalen Hurts effect, Eric. I mean, everybody's looking at what the Eagles do in short yardage stuff. It's a copycat world. A lot of people are going to look at that and say, "Hey, can I do things? Can I can I incorporate some of that stuff into my world?" So I don't think the under center stuff will be every time, but I don't think they'll completely go away with it, particularly when you have a legendary head coach say after a game our our guys didn't know what that was when tennessee lined up in an offset eye formation so i I think it's only going to continue there eric
1: yeah no doubt but then another question and we won't have the answer to this until next football season because we won't see any of it in spring practice or fall Mm -hmm. camp If they go offset eye who's going to be the running back right is it going to be a a tight end out there you're right exactly so uh, a lot of questions and hopefully we get some answers we get a good idea about some of those in spring practice and All that starts tomorrow for Tennessee football. A lot going on right now. Some scores of interest out the door. Um, In pressing matters, USA is leading Cuba 7-1 in the semifinals of the World Baseball Classic. But more importantly, it is FAU leading FDU 32-25 at halftime. The winner will take on Tennessee in the Sweet 16. Hey, Yeah, It's warm in the morning. Yes,
0: I will. Trust me. Uh, there's a good chance I will have a toboggan and multiple layers on for our two periods of early early practice viewing uh as Tennessee hits the practice field. I bet they're inside in the morning. How about that? I bet they're inside.
1: I'm cool. I'm all for that.
0: that. I'm all in for the inside in the morning. I'm taking a chance on I'm saying they're inside. We don't have to worry about it tomorrow. Which means you can wear a Peter Millar something tomorrow indoors, hey. Life's good for
4: you. I'm, if I'm wearing it, it's likely Peter Millar.
1: <laughs> be sure to like this button, or pre- pretty sure to hit the like button here on this video. Let's get in front of more Tennessee fans. Please subscribe to the Quest uh, channel on YouTube. And as always, subscribe to us over at VolQuest.com in the Journal's Quarters. Great deal, $29.99. Uh, and uh, you can be a part of the Quest family. A lot going on right now, including Tennessee in the Sweet 16, no better time to be a member of the site. For Grant Ramey, Ron Slay, Austin Price, Brent Hubbs, I'm Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys, as always, for tuning in to the Iraqi Top Rewind.